A 15-year-old died, and three other people, including a police officer, were wounded during a shooting in one of Washington, D.C.'s most highly trafficked neighborhoods last night. Gunfire broke out around 8.30 p.m. after hundreds of people had gathered for a Juneteenth celebration concert near 14th and U Streets. Several handguns were recovered at the scene. Officials have yet to announce any arrests in connection with the shooting. Hmm. Well, this comes as the investigation into the Robb Elementary School shooting in Uvalde, Texas, has revealed that police on the scene never actually tried to open the door to the conjoined classrooms where Salvador Ramos massacred 21 people in 77 minutes. This is according to a source with access to surveillance footage from inside the school. So take that uh, with whatever uh, precaution or grain of salt you want to. But during the shooting, responding police were given a custodial key ring thought to contain access to classrooms 111 and 112. However, sources say Chief Peter Arredondo used the ring to instead jimmy the locks on other classroom doors nearby in an attempt to locate the master key never using it on the classrooms where Ramos had trapped students and teachers, where some had been uh, shot, uh, many were dead, but others were frantically calling 911 for help. Rob Elementary school doors are designed to automatically lock from the inside. However, latest evidence suggests the door to rooms 111 and 112 may have been unlocked the whole time, allowing Ramos to enter, leave, and re-enter the rooms at least once. So, I mean, that would be totally in keeping with the trajectory of this story to right. learn that, yes, the doors were unlocked and they could have gone on, they could have gone in and shot him at any time because this is the most stunning police failure you have ever heard of in your entire right. life. From, from the school resource officer wasn't there. When he came, he passed the shooter, went and confronted a teacher. Uh, the police, the Arredondo didn't bring his radio in uh, when he became the, the coordinator on the ground, so they couldn't get in, they had more trouble getting in contact with him despite the kids in the room calling over and over again. Uh, we have their transcripts, they're horrifying to read. Parents having to go in, one parent at least, restrained, many parents restrained, right. one broke free of the restraints, went in, had saved rescued her, her, saved kids, her kids, got them out. The parents out there begging the police to do any of them, just kind of establishing a perimeter as they wait, as they wait, as and they you, wait. Finally, the Border Patrol says, to hell with this, we're going in, and that's after an hour plus. And, and you know what's an important note I think we never discussed? You would think, right, that even, you know, if maybe your initial impetus is to stop the parents from going in, maybe for their safety or for, you yeah, know, to... Stop them to go in because you're going in. But Sorry. after the parents have now broken free, they are going yeah. in, in fact, rescuing their children, you would think that would, that would, that would, you know, encourage you to say, you know what, okay, parents are going in rescuing their children. We have to do something. We have to make some kind of action. No, they continue arresting trying, and criminalizing parents. trying to find this key because they, they think the door is locked, but they maybe didn't, they maybe didn't verify that we don't know that it was. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's an egregious, sick level of incompetence. Like, it's a sick level of incompetence because the more you learn, the more you recognize that undoubtedly that many people did not mm -hmm. have to die, right? Mm -hmm. An entire fourth grade class didn't need to get slaughtered. And it's a shame that this isn't surprising. People died on the way, right? People taken out of that classroom died on the way to the hospital right. or when they got to the, the hospital. So those are people who might have survived if they've gotten medical attention sooner. And there's just no, there's no debate about this because right. they were trained. The police had training. They, they, had, they had recently done training right. on what to do in the mass shooting scenario. It's not a, this school, mass school shootings don't happen a lot. It's right. not a common thing. But the training is you don't wait. 
You don't establish a perimeter. You don't. You just you go in and you confront the shooter right. and you try to kill him. And That's even just if what you, you do. even if you wanted to justify that, so though and say, right. okay, maybe they wanted to wait. They wanted for the tactical right. sheets. They showed up. Border Patrol and these law enforcement right. agencies, in fact, showed up pretty promptly. To be honest, they showed up at twelve o'clock. The call was made at eleven thirty. They show up. They have their tactical sheets. They're re- prepared to go in. Still yeah. don't. And then you mean to tell me not only are y'all waiting out there and stopping all these other agencies from getting involved while uh, children are in the classroom calling 911 for help, but you don't even check the door? Like, you not only didn't go in, you didn't even check. No attempt was right. even made. That is a sh- And look, it it's is- a life and death scenario. It's scary. He had shot at the police officers already. He had grazed it's two officers. I, right. It's... It's scary. It's tough. And, and you know, they're heroes for, for going in and doing and, and fighting the shooter. They, they would be heroes if they had done that. That's their job. But they didn't. They would be people who did their jobs. Here they are people who, who very poorly didn't right. do their jobs. And some other people, some other law enforcement agencies whose, responsible, whose responsibility it isn't even, he right. had to come in and do what three different different departments they have in Uvalde refused right. to do. This is the school. The school has its own police department. You'd think... They'd know what to do right. when their moment comes. And, and unfortunately, and, and what I think is even more scathing is the fact that if you, if you had any doubt that they, they knew what they were trained to do, you know because the children were also trained for school drills and they knew. They hid, they were quiet, they called, and what mm-hmm. happens? Not only did they not come in, but then they come in and call for a ch- they call the child's name, scream for help. something like that. A child, right, they came right. in and they screamed, if you need help, you know, scream, whatever, right, for help. He, so a child who had been hiding and being quiet like they'd been trained to do, called out shot. and got shot. And then got shot. Un- unbelievable level of failure. Mm. So Uvalde city officials have hired a public law firm in an effort to block the release of records relating to the shooting, including body cam footage. According to NPR, a part of the city's legal strategy involves using the, quote, dead suspect loophole, which bars the public disclosure of information pertaining to crimes in which no one has been convicted, including when a suspect has died. And the cover up. It's unbelievable. Obviously, this is in the public interest. We all documents relating to this because we need accountability. Right. The public demands accountability and deserves it. I mean, I guess it's not surprising. It's indicative of their yes. level of of uh, right. Isn't that what they, the police always say? Oh, well, if you have nothing to hide, you know, why are you and trying to hide, exercise your rights? Hiding so, everything yeah. materially, not not participating with the federal investigation into it, not trying to provide the cameras. Uh, one of them said they said uh, they need to conceal the body cam footage originally or they originally said was, oh, this might, you know, uh, expose to shooters the ways that police are ill equipped and ineffective. Right. Which in and of itself, don't get me started, right? Oh, so we know, so we know. But second, they said, oh, they need to conceal embarrassment. They want to protect officers from embarrassment. (laughs) People's children are dead, and they want to protect officers from embarrassment. They're public employees. They work for us. They screwed up on such a massive scale. It's incomprehensible. Right. And we deserve the truth. We deserve accountability. And firings. And firings. And prosecutions, if it was criminal neglect. Show do. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Oh, 
Welcome to The Machine, everyone. I am your host, Mario, here with my co-host, Jeff Rowe. Journey with us as we adventure into conspiracy theories and the unexplained. All right, and welcome back, everybody. I am your host, Mario, along with my co-host here, excuse me, co-host, Jeff Rowe. He is here with me. I know it's been a little while. Jeff Rowe, how are you today? I'm good. How are you guys doing out there in podcast land? Let's hope everybody out there in podcast land is doing well, including those who have recently reached out to us. And I say recently because we haven't dropped another episode in what, like three weeks, maybe three, yeah, maybe four at a time. It's been a little crazy. Uh, people who did reach out uh, and offer their condolences along with our special guest for this episode. I cannot thank our discord friends enough and everybody who's reached out to us. Thank you so much. Uh, it really means a lot to uh, to know that there are people out there who, you know, even the kind words just means so much. So thank you. Thank you very much. We've had some bunch of different people reach out to us. Ben, Tom, Jared, let's see here. Chris, Michael, Peter, Mason, Seth, Adam, Jeffro. This is just in the past like three weeks. Wow. Vanessa, Ryan, Brian, Brian H., uh, Brian, we we care deeply about our drivers, do we not? Oh, yeah. So Brian and his wife, they're drivers. And I remember when uh, you were at my house, we were talking about this. And, uh, you know, he was so ecstatic about the episode or not the episode, but the podcast that uh, he said he might uh, defecate himself if we gave him a shout out. Please don't shit yourself, Brian, and and tell the wife not to not to shit herself, because we still need you to deliver the goods, especially now more than ever. You're doing a great thing. We appreciate you both. Just pull over on the shoulder and do what you got to do. Definitely. Uh, Jim and Mark, Crystal, Rakeem, everybody. And uh, with that, you know, we're going to get into this podcast episode. And I'm going to I'm going to give like a little bit of a alert message here because this is this is a subject that is I know we're going to piss people off, even even some of our listeners who have consistently listen to the podcast in the past it's a touchy subject for everybody as it definitely should be uh, we're going to talk about gun control and something that uh, one of our australian listeners had reached out to us about uh, was he says mario not everything you guys talk about is conspiracy that's true that's 100 true so one of the main reasons for that 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 lead up to conspiracy is that it's there's a base to it right there's a factual base to the things that we talk about a lot of the stuff isn't conspiracy but it leads into the free thinking thought of why or how come right it's a slow burn you know it's the frog in the hot water we want to try to point out to not only the people who listen to us but to those in our communities these are the small steps to tyranny if you're not careful right so exactly what you're saying you know we're not it's not always conspiracy but it's these uh these single steps that we've got to be careful about and we've got to point out because if we just let it go without any any sort of pushback at all we're going to find ourselves in a really bad situation before too long and i think that's that's the biggest issue right now is if you stop talking about these things you're doomed Right. So and that's what we like to do here. That's what we get into some of the cryptids. Well, we're about to get into some of the cryptid stuff, but some of the other, you know, a little far out there stuff, as well as some stuff that people are being called conspiracy theorists now that they really shouldn't be. And 
with what we're talking about here with gun control, there's a lot of be people being called conspiracy theorists because they're talking about the overreach of government and power here. Every time something comes up and I always say, well, instead of, instead of pointing blame and, and, you know, looking, looking for an outlet, how about, you know, people talk and actually come up with uh, an idea or something like that. And that's exactly what our guest here this evening is doing. Our, our good friend, Pat, who is a part of uh, been, been a listener for a while. I remember the first time you reached out to me, um, but been a, been a listener for a while. Pat, thank you for coming on the show. Cannot thank you enough. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, yeah. Well, first of all, I want to say thank you for the invite to the podcast. I appreciate it greatly. The, the support on Discord has been great. Um, but my name is Patrick. Uh, I'm from Kentucky. I'm a Navy veteran. Uh, I was in the Navy for five and a half years. I was on board the USS Nimitz, which I know you guys have heard a lot about. And when it comes to gun control, I have a lot to say about it. And uh, I, I have some things in the work, so I'm glad you invited me on to talk about it. Absolutely. I think a lot of us have a lot to say of it. No matter what side of the aisle you're on, a lot of people are talking and it seems like nobody's really listening unless it fits the narrative of what seems to be at play here. And Jeffra, I would say that would be gun control. One of the things that one of the first things, and we've talked about this in the past that Hitler did is he took the weapons away from the people. How do you control people? You don't give them a means to defend themselves ever. And that seems to be the way these, that these things happen. And we see this whenever different mass shootings happen uh, before it seemed like it wasn't, uh, you know, the, the sting was there, but not as much as of an impact as they wanted to. And I say they quote unquote, but they wanted to make. So I remember whenever Columbine happened and that was such a shock to the country and everybody, it was such a shock that these these boys could go in there and mass shoot, you know, all these classmates and everything. And it was, it was a horrific event and it most certainly and definitely was. It wasn't the first mass shooting in history, but it made an impact. And one of the reasons it made an impact is because the media was a nonstop coverage of such a horrific event. And maybe it should have been fast forward a little bit. You start to have a little, you know, some more mass shootings here and there. These things become more frequent, right? I mean, I think that's, safe to say not only are they being being covered more but controversy sparks interest we start to see them more and more the las vegas shooting there's so many people we've talked about this in the past so many people say well there was a helicopter there and we've seen gun whenever 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 there's fire in the night pat i'm sure you can atone to this that you can see it it doesn't just go off in the dark and nobody can see that bullet coming your way you see where the fire is coming from correct Oh, absolutely. Muzzle flash is a real thing. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, and even, even at night, even when there's a, uh, you know, ambient light, as there would be in Vegas, so many people seen fire coming from the uh, hotel room. So many people were claiming to see fire come from a helicopter as well. So and, the, and these are claims that you just cannot dismiss and just say, well, you know, you were distraught. You were running for your life. You were scared. Everybody was. I would argue people are actually more focused and hypersensitive in those scenarios. I've, you know, fortunately, I've never found myself in anything close to that. But you would think psychologically, they would be even hyper focused in flight or fight or flight situation. 
Yeah, uh, possibly. Definitely. Um, but I remember, you know, even going a little bit further back, Sandy Hook. That one really shook a lot of people because now, you know, a mass shooting in a school, whether it be a high school, whatever, you know, these these are children that uh, high school children, they're a little more coherent to do what, you know, fight or flight type of things. You know, you go to a grade school where it's an elementary school and you got kids that are so, so small where they're looking to authority figures, their teacher, their principal, whatever to save them. And something horrific like this happens. And there's so many speculations, even around that event, which happened during the Obama era. I remember very, very vividly. And it almost seems like, well, I've made this comparison to you when we were talking about the recent mass shooting of an elementary school, Uvalde. So this happened during arguably the same type of era as the Obama era with the Biden era. You have to wonder, pushing for gun control, what is going to sting? What's, what's going to make the impact? Well, little kids, little, little children who have just started their lives. To me, that, that kind of seems the narrative of what's going on here. But again, we end up in a scenario where people are back and forth. It's too many guns. It's not enough restricted laws. It's not enough guns in the hands of those who are responsible within the school. So many things. And I've said this in the past myself. We use guns to protect celebrities, politicians, people around them have guns to protect them. Why would you not do the same thing for your schools? I've always said this and people have called me crazy and I don't know if I am possibly right? I may be crazy, but it keeps me from going insane. I've always said we have so many veterans out there, so many veterans who don't have jobs, very, very well-minded, coherent veterans. We can retake a driver's test. Let's, Let's make a one point of entry, maybe two if you got a bigger school. Put a veteran there, let them man it, give them an evaluation yearly to keep that job and pay them. That, that, that was my answer. And so many people said, wait a minute. So you're going to put a weapon in the hands of somebody who has been through this. And, well, you could say that about anybody. I would trust the lives of my children going to school, being protected by somebody I know who is not afraid to stand outside, stand outside and take that hit. Pat, you are here for a reason. We brought you on this episode for a reason, because I say a lot of people, they speak when these things happen and then nothing happens. No action is taken. You're planning on taking an action. Can you fill us in? I can. And um, I, I just want to say that uh, what I'm about to talk about and how I'm going to talk about it may sound harsh to uh, some of your audience, but I feel as though as adults, we need to actually step up and realize that the government doesn't have all of your best interests in hand. They don't. If you look at the situation, it's like practicing insanity itself. Insanity being, you know, you you do the same thing over and over. You get a mass shooting and then all they want to do is take your gun rights away. But there's never anything actually done. So what happens? This, this, the whole cycle repeats itself. 
And that's horrible because it's using our children and they capitalize on that. And I don't, I don't understand why, but I have decided that enough's enough. I'm done. And I think that the program I'm starting called MASH, it's military and students health. It's like a play on words from the old military TV show everybody's seen. But basically what I want to do is start a pilot program in my hometown here in Kentucky and get veterans outside the schools. Not, I don't want to put them inside. There's educators, there's resource officers, so on and so forth. You know, they have their own security protocols. What I want to do is secure the outside of the building because there is nothing stopping an active shooter from going inside of a school. So I want to change that. And I have talked to several different people in my community from the sheriff's department, police department, the mayor, the student, uh, the uh, superintendent of the schools here from the board of education in this district. And everybody's on board. I was directed to go to the state level. I've already talked to people in the state level and everything's looking good to be able to start up a pilot program to stop this because in my little rural community here, there is no, I think there's four schools total and there's one, there's one resource officer. So that one resource officer is not going to be able to be in four schools at once. Right. So I want to fix that. I want to help them. I want to help the state. I want to help the community. I want to help the children because children are, are, are the future. They are the number one priority. And why, for some reason, we have lacked on security for the only thing that is important to us at all. It doesn't, everything else doesn't matter. Children are the future. Without children, there is nothing. And, you know, we, like you said, we, we protect the, the famous people, the powerful people, but those most vulnerable, those children, we leave without any type of protection. You know, I, like I'm, I've told the mayor before, you know, children, when you have children, you protect them with everything you have, everything. You would give your life for your children. But when school starts up, just like our jobs, the children stay at school more than they are at home. So throughout the school year, you're leaving your children unprotected more times than you are with them. And I, I don't see how anybody could ever feel safe doing that, especially in today's climate. And it has nothing to do with guns. We were given the right to have guns uh, when this country was founded, but we don't take any responsibility in protecting those that can't protect themselves here. And that needs to change. Yeah, I would definitely agree with you there. And again, you know, as you had pointed out, there, there's going to be people out there who disagree with us, uh, whether you're on one side of the aisle or the other. Now, I know recently here in Ohio, they recently passed a law where teachers can can now carry. Well, they've actually always been able to carry from what I understand, but the the rules Within, behind that was they had to be basically former police officers or former military. They had to have right, some right. God awful amount of hours of service with the gun. What they've done is they've retracted those hours, reduced those hours to a more reasonable time frame where they can get certified through this out the summer months. Well, even more so than that is a lot of these schools are gun free zones, right? So, I mean, obviously, who's not going to who's not going to follow a little sign that says a gun free zone? It's going to be a criminal, somebody who's willing to do ill ill intent. So what you've basically done is you disarmed everybody and left them as sheep to be preyed upon. Now, I will say this, 
because now, you know, they've passed a law where teachers can carry within the, within the school, whoever, right? They're free, right? They can carry a gun. I don't know if I fully agree with this. This is where the nuance comes in with me. I don't know if I fully agree with this only because one, I know I have a hell of a time sitting here with my children from time to time. Eh, they get on my nerves. I'm not saying I'd ever shoot my kid. <laughs> don't get me wrong. I would never harm my children. But we're talking about teachers who are being berated by children consistently throughout the day. That's part of the job. That's what they're there to do. It almost seems like this could be a recipe for disaster. To me, it makes more sense, as Pat was saying here, to put a veteran outside of the school and bottleneck the flow. If you can stop somebody, have have them stop, you know, check, walk through metal detectors, whatever, to his point exactly. The number one thing we should be protecting in this country, we're not protecting, and that's our children. We spend how much money on different things throughout the throughout this country? So much money is just frivolously spent on dumb and needless shit. But you're telling me we couldn't take a fraction of that money, pay a decent wage to some veterans to protect our children? It, it, it's blasphemy to me. Go ahead, Pat. Well, I, I had I had a couple of things I wanted to say. Uh, one was on your your topic of educators arming themselves. Like I said, I'm a full supporter of 2A. I think anybody who has got the ability to arm themselves, to protect themselves, great. Uh, I, I think that is a great thing. You know, learn, be able to protect yourself, protect those around you. I think it's amazing. To me, and, and this, this is my major thing with educators arming themselves, you have to be able to secure that weapon in a classroom, okay? So it's either got to be locked up, in a door, in a, in a drawer, in a locker, something. Okay. And it's normally encased in something else to kind of hide it. My, my main question I had with the superintendent who's here, I asked him the same question and uh, I'll ask you guys this is as put yourself as in an educator's shoe. And for a second, imagine that, you know, you're, you're a high school or high school teacher. You've been teaching the same children for the last four years. Okay, so you know their faces. You you know when they're having a bad day. You know you can see them out in the hallway. Stop them. Hey, what's up? What's wrong? What's wrong? You know, I need to check on you. Let's talk. Well, one day you're in class, and there's an active shooter event. Now, in the middle of all the chaos, you're trying to lock your children down. You're trying to secure the doors. You're trying to go get that gun that's uh, secured, and at that time. The shooter's able to get inside the room. Now you see the shooter and the shooter's armed. This person is prepared. They have ill intent in their heart. They know what they're there for. They're not going to stop. They're not going to pause. But that student looks you in the face as an educator that you've known this person for a very long time. Could you pull the trigger when it came time to? And the superintendent answered me, no, there's no way. I wouldn't be able to respond that way. And I said, okay. Well, you've just opened a complete doorway because at this point you've now armed this individual with another weapon that's in that room that he didn't have to bring in or she didn't have to bring in. You've left your classmates there completely open to the ill intent that this person's going to cause. And it doesn't help a situation 
and the other thing that I, you know, the other subject I wanted to chime in was the threat should be stopped outside the school. It should never make it inside the school building. Agreed. You know, it, when an active shooter event happens, okay, there is nobody, I don't even, even Uvalde, nobody was able to stop an active shooter from going inside the school. Okay. You look at Columbine, same way, Sandy Hook, same way. I spoke to the superintendent. He said, we have locking doors. I said, I've went to these schools. I know. I said, but they're all glass doors. I said, do you understand what happened in Sandy Hook? The shooter literally shot through the side window, walked through it, and then commenced harm on children. And he said, yes, you're right. I said, so, you know, when individuals come up into a parking lot with ill intent and they know what they're going to be doing, they need to be stopped and they need to be they need to be addressed before an event even happens. Because most likely what's really crazy about this is if I had ill intent and I was going to a school, I'm packing a duffel bag full of guns and I got to get out of my vehicle. And the first person that meets me is an armed person. I'm probably going to stop what I'm doing or I'm going to still try and lose. And the event takes place outside the school, which does multiple things. It allows the school to lock down properly. It allows a resource officer to post up and get ready for anything that might make it inside. And three, it gives law enforcement more than enough time to make it there in time. Right. And one of the things I think is interesting about uh, the idea that you guys are proposing here is something that people don't always talk about. We're talking about, you know, teachers with guns and, you know, all these protocols that might be able to happen within inside the schools. And this is what happened, I think, with the police officers in Uvalde. All these plans are great, but in a situation when shit hits the fan, what you really need is you need people trained who have been in that situation. And in communications with Pat on Discord, this is something that I thought that was really important, and that is the insertion of trained military personnel. You, you have a community of people that have already been trained by our government, have already been trained by our soldiers, right? And they don't freeze under those conditions. They, you know, they're very methodical. They know exactly what they're doing. They're mission-based, and that's what you need. You need somebody that's not, like you are saying, Pat, emotional, somebody who has connection with these kids, you know, somebody that has uh, an investment, an investment. Like there's no way under pressure they're going to be able to react the same way as I don't want to say robotic, but your training kicks in. And again, you have a portion of this, you know, a segment of the population that knows this, knows how to go through all this. And we're not, we're not utilizing them to the best of our ability and securing, you know, a school campus. And, you know, it wouldn't be me if I didn't poke the conspiracy beehive. Another piece of communication that we talked about on discord was, for those people out there who might be pulling the back a little bit on this idea, what's interesting is it seems these private schools have this type of protection that's being, you know, propositioned by you, Pat, um, where you see it all the time. You see these private schools with these huge security forces on the exterior of these campuses. So what's interesting is it seems to be OK for the one percent, but not for the ninety nine percent. And what's what I don't understand is these schools, most schools are state run, right? They're 
government institutions. Right. Even the education system within right. these public schools. So the schools then are the only government institution that isn't properly secured, you know, military wise. I mean, we, we secure prisons, we secure force, you know, forts and bases, but here's a military or not a military, but a government institution that we don't seem to have the same feelings about trying to secure. Right. And I think, I think this idea that Pat is bringing forward, I think it, it answers and solves so many issues. Another issue of, you know, veterans being forgotten by this government, you know, we, 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 we treat our veterans so horribly and we glamorize those with pretty faces on TV or politicians that haven't a clue, which is, well, pretty much all politicians who really don't have a clue or have enough of a clue to, to mean ill intent. But to your point, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we can always talk about teachers being underpaid. Why are we talking about teachers being underpaid when our children aren't safe? These every more often than not, you live in a city or a small town or whatever, where school district isn't exempt. You still pay your taxes. You pay a school tax. Well, if I'm paying a school tax, I expect my child to be safe within that school before I start talking about your salary. And that's just how I feel about that. And I don't know if anybody else feels that way. And I'm sure there are some underpaid teachers out there, but I've seen some teachers who make way more than I could ever even imagine. And through the midst of all of that, nobody is talking about the safety of the children at that school. And if they are, it's just guns are bad. Take guns away. You could throw, I don't care how many damn laws for gun control. First off, and I'll go back to this, and I know I'm going to piss a lot of people off with this. Any gun law to me is an unconstitutional one. Two, criminals don't follow laws. That's why they're called criminals. If you put up a sign that says gun free zone, you're just cheap because a criminal's not going to look at that sign and go, well, shit. I better put mine away. That's just not going to happen. And Jeffro, let's dabble a little bit into the conspiracy side of this and let's talk. Because the Uvalde shooting, something that people keep bringing up and nobody can make sense of was the armory that this kid had. What, he was 18, 18, 19, whatever. This kid had ten dollars to $12,000 worth of of ammo worth of firearms everything 18 to 19 years old i can't remember exactly what the age was you know i'm sure somebody out there is going he's this age you dumbass okay fine that is not the 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 focal point here the point is this kid come from a background where he didn't have all of the money to spend on this so you're not going to sit here and tell me that his parents or loved one bought him all this ammo and all of this firepower not going to happen. Where did this kid get all this stuff? And why was the first thing that he did was go to an elementary school? This stinks of shit. And beyond that, one of the things that did not make sense also was the security, because there was, there was some security there and the police department, they stood outside while this shit was happening, while the active shooter was inside of an elementary school. 
overnight, Uvalde School's police chief, Pete Arredondo, defending police actions during the horrific mass shooting at Robb Elementary School in an interview with the Texas Tribune, saying the only thing that was important to me at this time was to save as many teachers and children as possible, adding not a single responding officer ever hesitated, even for a moment, to put themselves at risk to save the children. Arredondo says he ran straight inside the school without body armor, leaving his radio behind, claiming it would slow him down, and began searching rooms before coming up to the room the shooter was in. Without breaching equipment, he says they tried dozens of keys before finding the correct one. Without his radio, he says he was unaware of the 911 calls coming from students inside the classroom and nobody relayed the information to him. But this morning, more details emerging about police response. Is there anybody inside of the building? He is advising he is in the room sources telling ABC News that in a preliminary assessment state investigators believe that police officers delayed entry into the school as the shooting occurred because they were waiting for protective gear it's a move that contradicts active shooter protocols that have been adopted by law enforcement agencies across the country the New York Times also reporting that Chief Arredondo was one of the first officers to enter the school According to the Times, more than a dozen of the 33 children and three teachers originally in the two classrooms remained alive during the one hour and 17 minutes from when the shooting began to when officers officially entered. An official telling ABC News, Arredondo was overheard that day saying, people are going to ask why we're taking so long. One of the things I want to bring up is when we need to consolidate our resources into a single concerted focus force like the program that that you know pat's bringing up here because yeah it's interesting whenever a lot of these details were coming out this is this is what i heard when i first heard this i heard you've already had their own school police department then you had the uvalde city police department themselves involved in this then you had the dps which is the department of public safety then you had the state troopers. Then you had SWAT. Then you had Border Patrol. And you had, my, my point is, you have so many hands to feed, right? And they want to say people were underfunded. Well, what's happening if you have six, seven, eight different resources? You had the sheriff and constable's office there. Whenever the funding goes to these programs, instead of having it focused into one program, You've got seven different people trying to fight for these programs, right? Right. You're, you're competing over these resources. And not only that, when you're on site, you've got so many different people. You, you can't coordinate anything. And one person say, oh, we got to go in. And another person saying, well, no, we can't. You, you've got too many. You got too many chiefs and not enough Indians. I don't, I don't know if that's I don't know if you're allowed to say that anymore. But no, you you. You get too many kings and no soldiers, right? You get they were stepping on each other's toes. And what needs to happen is you need to have a concerted effort towards one mission, not all these million different people coming in and just like the Benny Hill skit running around with like chickens with their heads cut off. Right. And I, I would I would think also to to that point, wh where's where's the backbone? 
of these people. And I, you know what? I'm going to call out anybody who was there who didn't run in and try to stop because I don't care if it's my life or not. If I'm there and I'm armed, whether I'm you know, a trooper, a local police officer, whatever it is, any good-minded person is going to run in that school and try to stop that shooter. What the hell is going on with maybe society, maybe the mentality of these people, or maybe it's just somebody holding them back? I don't know. I understand a shooter situation and everything is chaotic, but we're talking about a shooter inside of a school of elementary children. Sack the fuck up, go in there and take your goddamn shot because you know what? Lives are being lost in the midst. Uh, Pat, do you have anything to add to that? I do. I have uh, I have something. Is One, you know what's really scary about the Uvalde experience, just from the shooter's perspective, is a lack of motivation. Most times in these school shootings, you have student on student, you know, that person attended that school or currently is attending. And now you have an individual who had there, there's no motivation to go in and kill a bunch of little children that he didn't even attend, you know, attend that class or was with those students. There was nothing there. So, you know, you're dealing with somebody that didn't even go to the school. So having somebody outside of that building to, you know, address that person before something went down, because, you know, I've, I've been at the school, I've never seen you here, you know, what's going on. So something like my program would help that situation. But, uh, you know, two is I think that when it comes to police in the last couple of years, I think you guys can both agree with me that police have been attacked. They've been defunded and it's been pushed by the current administration. And I mean, school shooting or not, we we all agree here that if anything like that was going down in your local district and you had the ability to stop it as a law enforcement officer, you would probably act. But I think that the circumstances of what we've put our law enforcement into in the last couple of years has really affected response. Yeah, they're gun shy, you know, for for a terrible pun there. They're they're afraid to make a decision because they feel like they're walking on eggshells. Yeah, and I, yeah. I definitely agree with that. Going a little further into the conspiracy side of things, Jeffro, I've always given you my thoughts on the border and what I believe is going on down there at the border. And I know it sounds crazy, but this goes hand, a lot of hand in hand with uh, trafficking because human trafficking is a serious issue globally. Right. I mean, we've talked about this before. It's a serious issue globally. And we see it more often than not at, at borders because there's different laws in different areas of the world. Right. Down South. That's one of the bigger, bigger issues along the Southern border there. Jeffro, you and I were talking about this a little bit, and you 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 kind of caught on to where I was going with it, right? Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I don't know if a lot of people know this. Uh, I shared this on Discord, so those of you who are on Discord do know about this video. But the day before the Uvalde shooting, there was a very interesting report done by a Fox reporter down on the border. If we can find, it, I'm sure we can post it. But it's it's very interesting about what was going on in this report. In this report, they were talking about human trafficking and then people coming across uh, the coyotes being responsible for a lot of human trafficking and, and missing children and things like that. But what caught my mind or what caught my eye was as they go through this report, they, they touch on a few different things. They touch on the, 
the Trump wall and, and how the supplies are still there, but not being used. The state even said, hey, listen, we'll actually go ahead and fund it to be put up. Just let us put it up. And they said, no, you can't touch the material. So again, more you know, bureaucratic right. sort of red tape. But they're there. They're on the front lines. They see the problem. Right. But what's interesting is they went to one of these internment camps or whatever you want to call them. Refugee camps. I don't know what they would describe them as. Right. But what's funny is they're using this material to create a wall around this facility where the outside public aren't allowed to come in. So that that to me was fishy. But the, the most interesting part of the report was this reporter went to a community about 50 miles north of the border to a town that was housed by the immigrant minor children that were the minors that were unaccompanied that were found down near the border, you know, and yeah, because the border isn't just a bunch of families trying to come over seeking sovereignty. I'm not saying that's not the case all the time. You know, there, there are some families in there, but more often than not, there are uh, drug lords who have their people bringing children over, trying to get over into the U S to move things and to be a part of something on the other side of the border. Right. Um, right. Exactly. And what was funny about this report and very interesting to me was the, the mayor of the city and the churches and some of the other religious groups and, and charity groups, they were, they were wanting to go into this minor facility to go ahead and give teddy bears, you know, read scriptures, kind of try to console these children in a time that's very got to be traumatic and chaotic. Yeah. But they weren't allowed access into this building. They, they were shunned away. Very interesting. It doesn't make any sense hmm. until I found out where this facility was. And this facility was where, Jeffro? Uvalde, Texas. Uvalde. So, well, what I found interesting was you have the DPS getting this black eye, right? Wait, you said black eye. <laughs> black Let's eye. make this clear. <laughs> okay, black eye. DPS yeah. getting this black eye. Yeah, DPS getting this black eye. And it's just, it was very interesting that this the scathing report came out. And then the very next day, guess what happened? What happened? The Uvalde shooting in the town where the mayor was calling out the immigration services and the DPS and the border. I'm not saying one is resulting to the other, but it's extremely fishy. And then you sent me a third straw that might break the camels back next day that I didn't even know about. And it seemed the very next day there was a raid where children were rescued yeah. in El Paso and all along several other border cities. Where the DPS saved a bunch of trafficked children and missing children. What was even crazier, if it doesn't get any crazier, was this this report happened on the 23rd from Fox. 24th was a shooting. 25th was this, this raid where these children were found. On the 25th of May, guess what, what day that is? 25th of May. What? What day is the 25th of May? Because I remember that. I think it was something like 70 children were rescued from trafficking down at the border, if I'm not mistaken. I believe it was something something along those numbers. Forgive me if I'm wrong. Well, that day is called National Missing Children's Day. National Missing Children. So you're telling me that the day before the shooting, there's some fishy stuff going on down there with DPS, housing 
immigrant children who were lost at the border with wall fencing around it, mind you. Right. Keeping the public out. They won't let any type of media on the inside to know what's going on. Yeah. The only contact that the Uvalde mayor or any of the church groups had in contact with these minors was when they were immediately rushed to the hospital for complications of giving birth. We're talking 10, 11, 12 year olds. Complications of giving birth. Okay. Day two, this mass shooting happens after it's been reported. After this has been reporting on national news through Fox, and it was, whether it you was like aired Fox, on Fox or not, and Friends, I believe. Right. Whatever. You like Fox, you don't. It's a mainstream media outlet, but they covered it. Right. right? Mass shooting happens. Take your eyes off of that. Check this out. Very next day, look, these people aren't that bad. They saved. 70 children. Yeah, 19 children wasn't that bad. Look how many we saved. It 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 sounds it sounds dark. I understand that. But I haven't seen a light shined on that report the day before or after and it I don't know. It's fucking it, it, dude, it, it's vanished. It, the whole thing is vanished. I, I think it needs to be mentioned because it's, I don't know. I'm I'm at a loss for words. It it sounds so strange. The Biden administration vowing to appeal a federal judge's decision to block the plan to lift Title 42 today. But even with the order still in place, illegal crossings remain at historic levels. DHS numbers obtained by Fox News revealing more than a thousand crossed the border in 24 hours in one sector alone, with only 23 of them expelled under Title 42. Rachel Campos Duffy took a trip down Eagle Pass uh, to Eagle Pass in Texas to talk to law enforcement leaders and some migrants. She joins us now. Hey, Rachel. Hi, guys. It was really eye-opening. First of all, good morning, and thanks for having me. And I really want to thank um, Fox and Friends for sending me down to the border because it was eye-opening. This is something that has to be seen to understand, and it's really appalling that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris aren't looking at the consequences of their policies and are actually pursuing appealing to uh, you know the blocking of, of Title 42. L- let me show you what happened on this trip because it, I, I think you'll be amazed at the lack of transparency. Our government doesn't want us to see what's happening. We're getting ready to take off state troopers from Texas, graciously taking us up over the Rio Grande. Lieutenant, what do we have right here? So this is a group of a 130 plus that just came across. So these five Border Patrol agents, uh, those agents right now are gonna be tied up for the rest of the day, just processing all those migrants that just came across. Pulls those agents off the line, exposes more vulnerable gaps along the border. Lieutenant, what are we seeing here? This is like a makeshift tent, a camp, like a tent city? Right, this, this, was, uh, this was developed to alleviate some of the overcrowding that they're seeing here in this sector. But as you can see there, I mean, what do you see around it? There's a fence, there's some type of structure around it, yeah. right? This goes to show you that, you know, for this particular purpose, they believe that having a fence or barriers is a priority or vital to what they're doing here as far as the processing, but yet, you know, we don't see that along the border where it's needed. What are we looking at right here? So what you see there is panels from the previous uh, border wall that was being constructed. Of course, we know the border wall was canceled last year by the federal government. There's wasted panels that could be used for, for the border wall. After getting a bird's eye view, Lieutenant Oliveras took me to get a closer look at the border crisis from the front lines right next to the Rio Grande. This is an area here that we've seen increased activity. You see all the different clothing that's been discarded, shoes, personal items. This is someone's private property right, right here. All this is private property. And what you're seeing here, this barbed wire, this is something that was put up by the state uh, to try to, of course, 
you know, stop some of the crossings that were taking place. But you see what they're doing now is some of the wet clothing, they're easy to push down on the barbed wire and that allows them to cross over. This is the federal government's job is to secure the border. But right now the state of Texas is having to bear this burden by providing all these state resources, troopers, National Guardsmen, putting up fencing. This is all taxpayer money. This is state funded operation. And it shouldn't be that way because the federal government, this yeah. is their responsibility is to safeguard the Americans and to safeguard the border and to secure it. Who controls this, this area? I mean, honestly. Is it the cartels? The cartels. They're using that messaging that as far as that the border is open to have these, to encourage these migrants to make this journey. Every person that crosses that river, whether it be a child, a woman, a family, they pay a fee to that cartel. I spoke to some Cubans that were interdicted this morning. Each one of them spent about $12,000 to the coyotes to get to this point right here because they're being arrested. We just saw a group of illegal migrants cross over here. So the only people who have any benefits where he comes from is if they work for the government in Nicaragua. Este, um, so I started talking to them. They were willing to give me an interview. But then the Border Patrol came and said, now you're in my custody, you can't talk to them, the media anymore. So this is just another example of how the federal government doesn't want us to know what's going on. I've been shocked by the lack of transparency and I don't blame Border Patrol. That's a good question for the federal government to answer that, right? I mean, uh, they, need, they need to be transparent in what's taking place because this affects everybody. It doesn't affect the state of Texas. Every state right now is a border state because of this crisis. Probably one of the saddest things I've seen is the children that are coming across. A, li a little life jacket right there, obviously a child's right. life jacket. They're making this journey with kids. This is much more than just immigration. Of course, it's border security, national security, but also we gotta take into account the children that are coming across and how they are being victimized by not only the criminal organizations, but once they make the journey to the United States, where do they end up? About 60 miles away, right here in Uvalde, Texas. We're standing in front of the unaccompanied minors migrant facility for the entire Del Rio sector. Not even the mayor is allowed to see what goes on inside. We had local churches and different things that went out and bought clothes, formula, food for the kids in there, tried to bring it, weren't allowed. This is the most non-transparent government that I've ever seen in my life. You see Circular Mohocas in the Rio Grande Valley or whatever, and he's got this great entourage of law enforcement and people following him everywhere he goes. Go stay on the ranch two miles from the border. See what the common, ordinary American citizen has to deal with because of your lack of ability to take care of the border. Right now, you got families in our community that won't let their kids play outside unless one of the parents is out there with a gun. With a gun? With a gun, because you don't know what's coming by. You guys just can't handle this amount of illegal immigration coming through Uvalde. We can't. They pulled, they've already pulled most of our agents out here to go to process as soon as so they can process them. So they don't plan to send these people back. They plan to process them as quickly as they can and release them. They're not staying in Uvalde. They're passing through Uvalde. So they're going to your, your community. You're going to your big cities. You're going to the East Coast. You're going to the uh, West Coast uh, and, and to Mid-America. Uh, I... It was just an incredible trip, so eye-opening. Uh, I've been in touch with Lieutenant Oliveras, who you saw in that piece. He sent me this weekend this photo. Um, he was on a ranch not far from where we were there in Eagle Pass. This little boy was captured on their cameras. He was abandoned by the cartels. They're now looking for him to see where he's at. This, he said this is very common. Once the child is of no use to the cartel and to the group that's crossing over, they're often just left there. Um, the mayor, uh, by the way, I've just been praying all weekend for him. He's the same age 
age. He actually looks a little bit like my little boy. I mean, it's just, I, I cannot um, tell you how heartbreaking it is. The mayor of Uvalde told me that um, while he can't get into the facilities, even though he's had churches, you know, willing to go in to help the, mig uh, the migrant minor center, um, they, they wanted to minister to the kids, read to them, um, you know, bring toys. They're not allowed to do anything. They're never allowed to get in there or see anything. They do see occasionally 11, 12, 13-year-olds in the hospital, in the local hospital in Uvalde, delivering babies. So we know the children are being uh, mistreated and victimized coming across this border. Our government knows that. And frankly, we are all complicit in it um, because this is happening. Our government knows it, and they're continuing to do this. this the, the, the takeaway for me from this trip, Ainsley, Brian, and Will, is that there is this is not about security. This was entirely a processing uh, program for our federal government. Instead of sending people back, they just build bigger processing centers so they can move right. people through quicker so, and then send them out to the rest of the country. Rachel, there's a, the Remain in Mexico in Title 42. They're ignoring the Remain in Mexico policy. And in Title 42, they've already transferred it. They're already basically letting people through anyway. You get here, you're in. That's what you walk away from. I also, what a great report you did. Mm -hmm. And to see that fence, that wall sitting on the ground that we paid for, we are paying to store it instead of uh, assembling it and putting it up with the technology that would help the people that you were working with today. Yeah, you know, it was so incredible to be up above in that helicopter and you see this new tent city processing center surrounded by a wall because our government doesn't want us to know what goes on in there. And then right next to it, the rusting Trump walls, by the way, which the state of Texas offered to pay for um, and put up themselves. And the federal government said, no, we just are going to leave it there rusting. We paid for the contracts to put it up. No one's there working. Right the walls are sitting there. Huh. All right, Rachel, great job. It's a great piece. It, it takes us behind the scenes and onto the front lines of seeing exactly what's happening on this yeah, immigration hopefully crisis. Hopefully they'll find that little boy. I can't imagine as a mom uh, what goes through their head when they just say to their child, their young child, yeah, just go. with go. these strangers. Just go. Yeah, Rachel, we, excellent job. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you. I don't know. I don't. Just, and, and wrap your mind around this also, if you will, okay? We know what type of people are coming over the border. There are some good people. There are some not so good people, right, as Trump would have said. And he's not wrong because not everybody coming across that border is your friendly neighborhood Mexican willing to do well for you and help you out. That's not the case. There's some ill intent with drug mules and things like that, as well as possibly those who are working with them over here. And I mean, higher end people, politicians, because we all know drug money is used to rig elections, spark wars different things like that. I mean, that's really no secret. If you can't believe that, do a little bit of research. Now, why would they want to close this off if they could just go, oh, well, these children had come to us already impregnated and, you know, they're 10, 12 years old. And it was the different drug lords over there that, you know, the different, uh, you know, we'll say bad people, we'll just say bad. There's some bad people, you know, they were led to us and we had to take care of them, well, then why put up a damn wall? Why would you put a wall surrounding it? Are you afraid that that baby isn't going to come out so ethnic? Are you afraid maybe that baby might look like one of your top tier politicians? And I know I'm leading on here, but 
entertain this thought for a moment. Why else would you put up a wall to keep people out and tell the media that they can't see what's going on? Pat, have you heard of this whatsoever? Oh, oh, I have. I've heard it. I've watched the videos. I've drawn my own conclusions from it. Uh, But, you know, I, I go back to it's strange that, you know, he had no motivation. The shooter at the school had no motivation and his target made no sense. But then you also look at the situation and I can't remember where I saw the video. I'm pretty sure it was on Discord where they actually interviewed his grandfather, who I'm pretty sure was his guardian. And from what I gathered from the video, the the grandfather said that he had no idea about the guns in the house because he is not allowed to have guns in the house. Uh, not sure if that means he's in, like an ex-felon or a current felon and cannot have guns in the house. But he also just didn't support anybody having guns and said he would have reported his grandson if he knew the, the guns were in there. But he, you know, when the reporter asked him, you know, what, you know, what was his social life like? And he pretty much told him he doesn't do anything. He sits here at the house. He doesn't go to school. He, you know, I don't even think he had a job. And, you know, it's just it's really, really strange how you how you come out with, you know, between 10 and 10, uh, 12 thousand dollars worth of equipment that. You know, it's hard for me to even get my hands on that. Yeah, definitely. And something else that didn't make sense to me with all this is I heard the reports that uh, this individual had shot his grandmother before he left. He'd shot so many people. They weren't able to keep their lives. These young children. Right. And it's very, very heartbreaking. He shot his grandmother before anything happened. She lived. She's okay. She recovered. I, I, I'm not trying to make the argument that, you know, one life is more important than the other, but let, let's be serious here. This guy takes all this armory into a school to do ill intent, shoot and kill people. If he, if he wanted his, it, it seems to me, if he wanted his grandmother dead, she would be dead. And maybe that's just me thinking a little far into it. Maybe, you know, maybe the, the, the case scenario was that much serious, but from what I understand, you know, she, she survived and she's okay now. And this is another little piece of the puzzle that just didn't sit quite right with me. Right. And that's what things like this lead to, right? Uh, there were so many crazy things coming out of the scenario down there in Uvalde. That's what we're left with because there's no transparency. We're all, we're left with a bunch of different questions and we're only allowed to really come up with our own answers. And sometimes these answers are so crazy. You see these different reports and you're, you're led to your own internal monologue. Like, well, if this is going on and this is going on and that's going on, what conclusions are we supposed to draw from this? If you're not having any transparency at all. Matter of fact, I actually even saw a report where three or four years prior to this, there was a group of students in Uvalde that actually planned a mass shooting at the high school. And a lot of the students, I can't remember the exact details. I should have looked that up before I came on there, but three or four of these students were actually apprehended and prosecuted, but they didn't think at the time that they had gotten everybody that was part of this internal group. And there's some speculation that this kid was actually part of that group. And one of the reasons he was able to accumulate so much armament was because he had been planning this with a group of people prior to going back three or four years. 
I mean, you could, yeah, I, I, I could see that. But my, my point to that is, again, it's another missed opportunity to stop something in the future, right? Because you look at a lot of these instances, going back to Columbine, all these incidents, the, the one in Florida, Sandy Hook, there were warning signs with these kids for years. So I, I don't know. There's a lot of crazy nuances to the story that there's just too many breadcrumbs. It does. It just it doesn't make sense to me. It, it doesn't sit well with a lot of people. No, let's let's assume that that is the case scenario, right? Let's assume that this kid was part of that uh, that group of kids that that wanted to pull this off. We're still talking about ten to twelve thousand dollars of firearms. That and these ever. kids you're telling me within the past, I don't know, four, six years, however long it is. We're talking about kids here now yeah, that are coming in contact with firepower that has Pat has mentioned here that he can't get. Right. I can't get you can't get right. You could put I don't care how many damn gun laws you want to on this. If he's able to get them, he's going to get them mm-hmm. beyond that. Who supplied it to where, where, where did he get this shit? That, that's my question. That, that I, I guess to me, that, that is one of the bigger questions here, not ignoring the elephant in the room, obviously the lives of the children, but where, where did this individual acquire these things? And to me, again, lives are expendable when it comes to the idea of power the, the and bigger corruption. Picture, yeah, right. Right. In, their, in their minds, we're all collateral damage. And we're, we're, less. we're talking about some serious fire, firepower here. You know, here you go. You want to make an impact? You knew you were going to do this at some point. We can kill you now, or you can make an impact. And, you know, maybe we'll cut you a deal. Your parents will be well off. Your your grandparents will be well off. Whatever. You know, you're, you're, you, people are going to be talking about you for the next week or two. Right. And that's another thing the media does. It, you know, they glamorize these shooters. Sure. Um, I, I know there's been a lot of people who have called, you know, the media not to do this because all it does is it, it spurs copycatters, it, it spurs, you know, children who are coming out of environments that have mental issues and, and psychological issues. You know, it if you're a child who feels like you're nothing and, and you're never going to amount to anything, your only way to fame is through infamy. I mean. If you if you remove that, that's why, you know, in American sports, cameras stop showing streakers. Yeah. You know, in, in, you never hear about the incidences that happen when a shooter is apprehended You because it, it happens. Make no mistake about it. There are many, many, many times out there that it happens. And it's usually it usually happens when the shooter is apprehended by different people who are carrying you know like they're stopping it they they may get one or two victims but it's not going to be a mass victim casualty you're saving some lives still i'm not saying that you know some are expendable or no no lives should be lost and i think that's what pat's trying to do here is take care of the issue before it becomes an issue at all at outside at the door and i agree with him here but the media does not shed the light on how many lives that good citizen gun carrying individuals do. Like you don't hear about this stuff. 
Why? Because to them, it's not news. It doesn't fit the narrative. It doesn't fit what they're trying to push and what they're trying to do, which to me, honestly, seems like they're trying to disarm everybody in this country right now. Pat, does that seem, uh, that seem like a fair assessment to you? That is definitely a fair assessment. And uh, it's crazy to know because the, the reports are actually out there. Like if you actually go and, and do your own research, which God forbid the government find out you actually do your own research. But, uh, you know, there, there are several and numerous accounts of uh, armed civilians and taking control of really bad situations and ending the uh, active shooter event well before anything seriously happens, before it turns into a mass shooter incident. And you never, you will ne- never see it on national television. You have to do your own homework. And the home, you know, the, the answers are out there. The, the numbers are out there to prove that it helps. I can't remember which agency it was when the legislation here recently started to get passed and, and going through the system the way it was. But one of the offices, I can't remember which one, Jeffro may be able to help me out with this, but I think it was the Department of Defense said that the gun control is really not going to fix the problem. That's not the solution. No, I think that's very, very clear that gun control is not, it's not going to help. It's not going to fix the solution. You're just taking, you're taking armed weapons for people to defend themselves out of those law abiding citizens. That's all you're doing. You're not taking the weapons out of the criminals because they're not going to give them to you because, well, you know, other criminals since Columbine. Um, it, I'm not exactly sure of the study uh, off right off the top of my head, but since Columbine, they have restricted gun laws more strict with background checks every subsequent time that, that there was a mass shooting that, you know, the media reported on matter of fact, uh, this past year, last, the first 22 weeks of the year, there actually have been over 246 mass shootings that people don't even, aren't even aware of. And I guess the definition of a mass shooting is, uh, four or more people shot, not necessarily murdered, but four or more people shot. But my question is how come we don't ever hear those other cases? Maybe because they're happening in black and brown communities and, and poor white communities. Oh, that's right. They don't care. You know, those, those are the part of the population that aren't important. That's just, you know, me saying that. So whatever, but since Columbine, right. These gun laws keep getting more and more restrictive, but that's only hurting the law abiding citizens. Yeah. Cause the criminals are still obtaining the guns. Yeah. And they're going to obtain the guns because they're not following the same protocol the law-abiding citizens are so what are you really doing you what you're doing is you're making it easier for the criminals to make you know commit these crimes and you're making it harder for people to defend themselves that's all really all you're doing no that's that's and i think that was the point exactly i i I think that uh that's what's happening here once you take the weapons out of the law-abiding citizens who only wish to defend themselves from those who mean ill intent. Now you've got crime running completely crazy all over the place because obviously these criminals, they're not going to pay attention to that. Next thing you know, what's going to happen is, is you're going to start inducing these different laws for people to go in there, knocking on doors, 
taking your weapons oh, Lord. to try to find them. You're talking about the red flag laws. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, now what are we talking about? We're talking about the same exact thing that they did in Nazi Germany. Are we not talking about the same exact thing? Right. I, I heard it described earlier. Um, I think it was Tim Poole who described it like this. Uh, he said the red flag laws are worse than the stop and frisk laws. You, you have all these progressives that were completely against, you know, the marginalization of black and brown people in New York. And I mean, they talked incessantly about how terrible it was where you can just target a certain community or target a certain type of person in the community and, and you know, hey, go stop them without cause. Well, for those who don't know, there's a hundred mile um, border that wraps all the way around this country. Yeah. Where we're in that. We're in that actually right now in, in our position. Uh, I don't think Pat is there in Kentucky. You're kind of no. safe in the middle That's of the country safe. there. Um, yeah. But what, what this red flag law says is if the border control or border patrol suspects anything, uh, you know, suspects anything, they can enter your home without a warrant. Yeah. And they search and seizure without a warrant. That's against the Fourth Amendment of your sovereign ability to sure. of, of your freedom. But and, and here something else I found out was if you if you are searched like that, the Border Patrol does not have to abide by the FOIA laws. If you, if you ask for a FOIA um, law saying, hey, listen, I want to find out about this case or why this place was they, seized they or whatever. They sacked my house and they took everything. They trashed it. Uh, you know, my brother was shot because he questioned it. Whatever. I mean, whatever. we're talking about some crazy, crazy stuff happening right. here. They don't have to release any they information don't have to disclose anything. why or anything like that. Nothing. No, they could come in, do whatever the hell they want for whatever reason they say, and you don't have to know about it. The public doesn't have to know about it. Right now, I mean, it's, it's, even with you and I talking about these things within that hundred miles is pretty damn risky because if it starts sparking enough interest and, and gains enough gas, you know, who's to say they couldn't come running in and you know just take care of business? I guess I don't I mean, know. Right now, they could bust right through your door here and sure seize us. You know, do whatever without want. representation. I mean, honestly, seize, seizing us would be you know the better end. They they could kill everybody here, but I mean, because like you said, there's they don't have to tell anybody why they they answer to nobody. They don't need no warrant. And now, right now, it's a hundred miles. Who's to say it's not two hundred miles tomorrow? Two hundred miles tomorrow. after the next shooting, and that's what they use. They they use this these chaotic situations. On purpose, they they use it as fodder, political fodder, to go ahead and extend their their things. And what's interesting is I came across a quote, and, I, and there may be a lot of fans that already know this quote, but Thomas Jefferson has a he has a lot of good quotes actually. Yeah. But this one I thought was interesting. He said, "When the people fear the government, there is tyranny. When the government fears the people, there is liberty." So you know we we really have to keep in mind. A lot of the things that these people said, especially Jefferson, he was one of the authors of the Constitution, and they lived through a very similar time. It seems, you know, not apples to apples, but they had experience with with tyranny, and they were able to write a pretty good document to to keep that back, hold that back for a while. But 
as of now, a lot of our freedoms are being infringed upon and, and a lot of people have to wake up. Definitely. We can't just stay asleep. They're, they're definitely in the balance. If they haven't been infringed upon already, they're, they're wanting to infringe upon them. And uh, the second amendment is definitely one of them. And, you know, even who was it? Was it Pete? Was it Pete Buttigieg? It was, it was, it was one of the, uh, one of those politicians who, who made the statement, we are coming after your guns. Um, I don't know how many law abiding citizens are out there and I'm not trying to incite any or anything like that. Hold on to your weapon. I don't care who's coming after it. And if it is your gun, you better hold on a little tighter. And if it gets that bad, if it gets to that point, they better realize that, you know, yeah, we could end up in another civil war because I know so many people on even this land within this hundred mile radius that are not willing to give up their arsenal. And they're going to have to pry it from their cold, dead hands, as many of people said many, many times. And I think that actually is the American way. And I think a lot of people, a lot of good Americans are tired of the talk of infringement on their rights. I think you mentioned uh, Thomas Jefferson. There's no way in hell anybody from that era would look at this era and say, this is not what uh, this is not what we imagined. This is not. Or maybe this is exactly what they imagined, which is why they wrote. Which is those. why they wrote the yeah the, the different rights. But this, make no mistake, this is tyranny. Even taxes, even the taxes that we paid, the whole reason, and I say this over and over again, the whole reason this country it is what it is was no taxation without representation. I mean, what the hell do you call federal tax, right? Well, it represents the people that they actually get paid by. <laughs> We always talk about this pendulum, right? This, uh, this, this, this pendulum that swings back and forth. And we see this in everything and every discussion that we make. And we even talked about this before we started this podcast tonight um, about the new Buzz Lightyear movie. And I'm going to make the comparison here because within this movie, there is a gay scene, which we talked about this during the DeSantis Disney episode about the uh, the animation CEO out there in California throwing all of these different scenes in their movies or whatever. There's a gay scene in this children's movie. It's a Disney movie about Buzz Lightyear. We're going to call it a children's movie because that's what it is. To me, it's I, like I had told you, throw a PG rating on it. Let people know why it's PG rated. Let the parents decide what, uh, you know, is this appropriate for my child? Do I agree with it? No. So I wouldn't take my young child to go see this movie for that simple fact. Call me whatever you want. That's fine. I don't think that sexualizing children is the way to go. Never has been, never will be. And I'll stand by that. But the pendulum is swinging. And the only thing they could do right now is blame people and call everybody homophobic because it's not doing well in the box office. So that pendulum is swinging. You decided to take that narrative and put it in your movie. There's a reaction to every action. And I'm making the comparison here because here we are with this huge, huge action. What's going on around you? Are your are your rights being infringed upon? Yes, that's without a doubt. That's very clear at this point. Are your children's lives in danger? Yes, without a doubt. That's very clear at this point. 
what is going to be your reaction? What is the reaction of the people? Because I, me personally, I don't give a shit what the reaction is of the government. They work for us. They work for me, you, Pat here, everybody who is an American citizen. That's who these dipshits work for. Maybe it's time. Maybe it's time they're remi- reminded of such because things are just crazy right now, especially even with this. And it makes no sense to me why in the hell, as Pat has said, we cannot protect our children. We can, you can come to me for taxes and I can spend all this money in taxes, whether it be my school taxes, whether it be my state taxes, my federal taxes. Uh, we get taxed so much and we work consistently. These politicians don't work. They make more, more money than me. I don't know about Pat. <laughs> they make more money than you and, and you deliver the goods to the American people. You're one of those people. They make more money than all of us. They make more money yeah. than all of us. Politicians don't spend their own money. They spend our money. So why can't we have that say of protecting our children with our money? And I'm not saying, Hey, let's pay more into it. No, to me, they've got enough money to do this. Why haven't they done it? Well, they have federal funding everywhere. Everywhere. You know, so why can't we have some state funding to the schools for uh, an organization focused, you know, hyper focused on the protection of the children, not seven different, you know, alphabetical agencies, DPS, all the way through all of them again. I know I'll, I'll bury you guys going through them all again. But again, why needing, why do you need all that? Why can't you just focus all that energy? into a portion of or into a segment of the population that's trained and will not seize under stress. Definitely. Pat, uh, your, your idea here, your, your movement is there. Did you, do you have a name for this? Uh, can you give us more details? Is there any way some of the listeners can uh, help out or make bring awareness to this of, of what you're doing here? Cause me personally, I think it's a wonderful thing. I think it's, it's about damn time. Somebody's put forward this. Well, the, uh, the program, the movement uh, of such, cause by no means is it trademarked or anything, <laughs> but it's called mash military and students health. And, um, Basically, it's just I want to get veterans who are back here, and I'm actually also trying to get active reserve people who are actively in the military now who are on reserve duty, and uh, I'm actually going to try to work with local recruiter stations and stuff like that, see if I can't get a billet once this gets allowed for school systems to say, hey, there's a job opportunity. You can go protect schools for the next couple of years, and I can actually have recruiter stations help me rotate out fresh people who, you know, are active duty. They're up on their game. They're up on their training, but I've done a lot of footwork on this because the last thing I wanted to do, I mean, even people with good intentions, even veterans, uh, I've even seen reports of it where they just show up to a school fully armed, kitted out, you know, ready to protect the children. Great. That's a great idea, but it's the wrong way to do it. You need to alert the community first. You need to let the individuals know whose children are going to school that, you know, we are amping up security. It's not a bad thing. They're here for your kids. You know, if I was a parent and I show up to a school and there's an armed person outside there and I haven't made aware of it, my kid's not going to go to school that day until somebody clarifies something for me. But with that, 
you know, I started a Facebook page. It's it's labeled MASH, M-A-S-H. I have a petition on there that I have people signing, uh, stating what I want it to do. And I also have update videos on there uh, of every step that I take, every person that I talk to, uh, the interviews that I go through and talk to. And so that way everybody can hear all these people. And I've also had them get added onto the page on Facebook there. I've also got an Instagram. It's under uh, military and students health. That's the hashtag. I also try to follow up between Facebook to Instagram. So it doesn't really matter what platform you're on. You're going to see something about us. I, I, I've went through, I've made sure to talk to a lot of people that have, you know, what we consider a lot of power, a lot of, a lot of pushback in this community. And I have nothing but sheer support, which is crazy. I didn't, I thought I would have some kind of, you know, pullback from this and somebody say, eh, I don't really know, but I haven't. I've actually had everybody that has some kind of label behind them saying, well, it's about time. We support you. And I even got um, an email to go to the state school security marshal who actually goes around to Kentucky schools and investigates them every year to make sure they have their security standards. I actually had a phone call with him the other day. He called me back, you know, asked me about the program. He was on board. He thinks there needs to be more security. And he even stated to me that uh, there are ways that I can go around the state and go ahead and implement my pilot program here in my hometown without the state's approval. I just need the board's approval. And with that being said, I talked to the mayor we're setting up a public forum so I can actually speak to the town itself, let them know what's going on, because I want the community aware. I want the community's backing because that's how things work. And then I'm going to move from there. I've already got a board meeting set up with the Board of Education so I can get this started. If not this school year, then next school year. Pat, that's amazing. And it's uh, God bless you for doing something. And, you know, somebody's actually implementing these these tactics and putting them in play and actually thinking about the well-being of of children going to school uh, i know recently we had somebody there's a town near us called lowville and there was a young man who uh he, he took his own life and the only thing that the parents were alerted of was to come get your child we're evacuating the school there had been a shooting nothing more frantic parents went to the school a gun-free zone some were arrested for having weapons on them. And it was one of the things that we saw at Uvalde also. Parents were held back. People are frantic. People are scared to send their children to school these days. We should not be afraid to send our children to school. As much like you said, that's where they spend most of their time. We spend more time at work and at school than anywhere else. We should be safe, especially in a country where they are not afraid to take pennies dimes and dollars from us and just you know give us the old he ho at any time there should be no question about the safety of our children whatsoever so god bless you you're doing the right thing here and you know you have our support 100 if you could i would ask you to send me a link to your your uh your facebook site that way i could post it on our facebook site um you are on discord I know you have uh, all the support of, well, most of the support of the people on Discord. I'm not really sure. I don't, I don't know how everybody feels on there. I try to touch base on, on Discord as much as possible. I know Jeffro does as well. I can tell you this. 
the the people on Discord, whether they agree with you or they don't agree with you, it's about time somebody did something. And, and, and even if it's in your district, I would like to see this happen in other people's district. But it seems to me right now you're the only person I know that's doing it. You're leading the way. And God bless you for that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it, it's beautiful to see you using your skills and your heart in a, in a message and a mission. That's so important. So important to everybody. So you're not, you know, it's amazing. I just, you know, thank you. And you're a true American hero, brother. Well, I, I appreciate it. Um, I, I had, I had a conversation with a family friend the other day and he had asked me about, you know, the program that I was doing because he does have children that go to the local district. And he's like, well, my main concern Yes, security is one, but two is the education they're receiving. And I said, well, I'm not only trying to pass a program here. To me, it's a heartfelt moment and a movement that I think people need to sit on and just think about for a moment. You know, I didn't like something that a lot of people don't like. So I did something about it. I'm working on it. And, you know, for parents that have children in school, I think you need to take a moment and say, well, what do I need to do? You know, do I need to be that person, that leader to go out there and, and change it? Because like I you know, said before, the time of waiting for the government to do anything or to help uh, people in this country is it's way past time. You know, if we are going to, as citizens of this country, as taxpayers of this country, want anything done to actually help our well-being, our children's education, then we need to step up. And if you don't like it, say something and and not just, you know, to your family friend, not just to your neighbor, but go to the source, you know, start a petition, you know, put local names on there, talk to more than just maybe a school teacher, you know, maybe your kid's having problems. Cool. Talk to that teacher, but you need to go around and you need to be discussing these things because that's the only way you make changes. Right. And I would definitely agree with you there because there are definitely things that I don't agree with in the public school curriculum that I, I definitely don't agree with, but it's most important to make, uh, you know, other people aware in your community of what your child is being taught. If you don't necessarily agree that maybe your your child should be learning about gender in any grade at a public education level where it should just be education and not education of, hey, maybe you have this or maybe you don't feel that way. Help me out here, Jeffrey, because well, I'm not I'm, what I'm what I'm hearing is we've gotten into a pattern of virtue signaling and just hashtagging and posting on Twitter and being like, oh, well, I did my part. And what you guys are talking about to me, it seems more like activism, you know, uh, being active in your children's lives, and, which everybody and, should be right. But it, and it tends most times that's not what's going on. You know, we've gravitated to this public adulation of, oh, well, this person believes this. Look at them. They're, you know, they've got a Ukrainian flag in their headline or whatever. Right. And, and it's this this fake altruism it's it, and we've got to get back right. we got to get back to the source we got to get back to if you have a problem with something become part of the solution rather than you know 
propagating the problem and just sitting back and saying, oh, well, I don't want to do anything. I just want to be able to talk about it anonymously. Right. It is, it is the time for us to mold our children, which is the future. We mold them, not the public education system, not mainstream media, not the internet. It should be the parents. There needs to be responsibility here. I completely and definitely agree with you there. So if you see something that you don't necessarily agree with, have a conversation. When we stop talking and let let them do whatever the hell they want, then we end up in situations like we have now where you know it's gotten too far. And it's good to see somebody doing something about it. And I think uh I don't know if there's anything else to say for this particular episode, Jeff Rowe. Uh, Pat, did you have anything you wanted to finish up on here? Not really. I just, I just want to say to you guys, to all your listeners, you know, and to the people on Discord, I, I appreciate the support. Really, I do. I, uh, I started this out with just a couple of people signing a petition that was just friends on my Facebook who, you know, have children that are in the school. So I expected some, you know, family support, obviously, but to see that this petition alone has not only gotten locals to sign it, but I've actually seen people in different countries agreeing with the same thing, which to me is wild. You know, social media reaches a lot of things and a lot of people in a lot of areas, and it can put pressure on a lot of the uh, local politics in your town because most of them are on social media, one way, shape or form. That's how they stay in touch with a lot of things that are going on. And, you know, just whatever you're going to do, whatever you want to try to do to help any type of situation you see a problem in, just stay true to it. You're going to hear no's. You're going to hear questions. Uh, but thankfully, I have a great support system. The Discord is wonderful. I've had people on there even recommend, hey, call me up, talk to me. I'll help you with PR. You know, that way, if you're in a public forum, you don't sound like a fool. You've got answers. They send me uh, statistics and stats and stuff that I need to take to local leaders when I'm talking to them. And it's helped dramatically. So I want to say all around, thank you for everything. I really do appreciate it. Well, absolutely. Uh, and, and we're happy to do so. I know the podcast does reach different uh, different points around the world, uh, not just this country, many other countries. And uh, just to go over this, again, the, the program is MASH and uh, what it stands for. Again, help me out here. Military and Student Health. Military and Student Health. That's a very nice acronym. Yes. I like that. Yes. All right. With that note, guys, I think we're going to wrap it up here. Pat, thank you so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. To all, all of our listeners, we're going to do our best to uh, you know keep pumping out these episodes. Uh, you know, maybe some that aren't uh, to be taken so seriously, but this one definitely, we want everybody to take this one here seriously. And uh, any questions that you may have for Pat here, uh, he is available on Discord. Through our Discord, we're we're welcome. Uh, anybody who wants to join the Discord, you you may ask Pat questions. I hope Pat, you're okay with that. Totally fine with it. I welcome questions. That's that's how you get things done. You communicate. This is wonderful. So, Jeffro, hey guys, this is important. You know, our our children are our future, like Pat has said, and I want to thank Pat as well for coming on. Uh, it's a message that needed to be, you know, 
put on on our little forum that we have and hopefully it reaches a lot of people and uh again thank you so much pat for everything that you're doing warms my heart that there's hope there's hope out there absolutely thank you pat until then until then mario till then pat until then